0: listening to the traditional outdoors podcast hey folks steve angel here and this week's episode is sponsored by both bind and nick's good friends david and tracy belowski at saint joe river bows now if you're thinking about a custom longbow or recurve you owe it to yourself to check out saint joe river bows Dave and Tracy have been making bows at St. Joe since 2009, where they started out making the St. Joe River Bow's classic model in both longbows and recurves, and then in 2010 they premiered their Torrent recurve model. Now often copied but never duplicated, this sweet little bow is offered in a 54 and 56 inch versions, and its smooth draw and snappy performance make it the perfect bow for hunting from a tree stand or a ground blind. And if you're more of a longbow shooter like I am. Well, they also make a torrent version and a longbow, which just so happens to be the bow my wife shoots today. Now myself, I prefer the classic longbow, but all of their bows are amazing shooters and all are available in numerous grip sizes and types to fit every shooter. If you're not sure exactly what you want, Tracy is more than happy to work with you to figure out which style fits you best. And don't forget about their kid and youth models that come with St. Joe's amazing trade-up program so that as your child grows, they can trade in their current bow towards a newer bow that better fits their needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy will still throw in a free St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchase. So when you call them up, be sure to tell them that you heard about them on the Traditional Outdoors podcast. Now let's get on to this week's episode hello everyone mr jason sam Koviak is in the house the pod father himself Oh, Jesus! (laughs) (laughs) right off
1: the bat (laughs) like not not even a little warm-up not even a kiss not nothing just right off the bat (laughs) look
0: that's all nick view did that to you so i but i can't (laughs) let it go it's just it's 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 gotten too many too many grins out of me at this point how you been man you know
1: I'm doing good. We were coming back from Georgia, and we've been driving and listening to the radio the whole time because we don't have Cirrus anymore. I let it expire in the truck. And we were in Michigan, down by Detroit, coming home three hours to go. And my wife says, hey, put on one of your podcasts. I'm like, my podcast? She's like, no, not yours that you do, but put on one that you've been on with somebody else. I want to hear it. (laughs) Oh, no. And I'm like, so I I went and I put on a podcast, You know, one of yours. I just typed in Jason Sam Kovac Traditional Outdoors, and uh, it popped up, and I hit it and then it's us rambling and stuff. And all of a sudden it goes right off the bat with the pod father <laughs> thing. And she about spit her coffee all over the whole car. Like, no, let's go find a different one.
0: <laughs> That's all right. I haven't, uh-huh. uh, I haven't given Nick a hard time about this and I keep saying, I'm going to do it. I don't know if you, I know you, you're probably like me. You don't keep up with many other podcasts. Um, I've got, I've gotten to where I I try to follow a few and I look for specific topics that I want to listen to, but Um, We had a young lady on the podcast about a year ago now, um, Katie Burgert. She started a podcast not long after she was on ours called Fish Untamed. And she had reached out to me and things just, it kept getting, the schedules just kept getting uh, crossed up. And we finally just decided we were going to table it for a little while. And when things slowed down a little bit, I'd reach back out to her. So I did. And lo and behold, right after I reached out to her and we got it scheduled, this whole thing with my wife came unraveled. And um, I, I just told her, I said, I need, I need to get my mind off of it for an hour or so anyway. So we went ahead and did it, but she'd also lined up to record with Nick. And I just got around to listening to one with, with her and Nick this week, actually. And you know what? That joker spent the first ten or fifteen minutes on there just basically talking about how old I was. So I'm <laughs> I, I'm gonna get back at him. I don't know how yet, but I'm gonna get back at him.
1: Does does Nick have his own podcast now?
0: No, 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 no. He was a guest on hers. So basically what happened
1: Okay, got okay. I,
0: I kinda reached out to her and told her, you know, I didn't at that point I didn't tell her what was going on. I just told her, you know, my wife was having some pretty serious medical um Uh, challenges and I thought I was going to make it but what she basically did Nick actually reached out to her and said look if for some reason you know Steve has to cancel I'm more than happy to to jump in and then they ultimately decided she would just go ahead and record with both of us just separately so that's why he was on her podcast right after I was
1: got it okay that makes sense
0: so you spent you spent the holidays in Georgia right
1: I did. Went down there. We did it last year, too, for family vacation just to get away because um, we do like a family Christmas over Thanksgiving and because uh, everybody's spread so far away. And so Christmas has kind of always been a you know separate family, We just the three of us here. And uh, so last year, we spent it down in Georgia. So we did the same thing again this year. It was a lot of fun. We went down there, had a blast, beautiful weather. And uh, yeah, just got home two days ago. But we, we loved it down there. And then... Uh, We're going to head back down there again here pretty soon, go down and do some pig hunting. I left my camper right down there, just stored it down there. And then we'll pick it up and, you know, move it over to the campsite and be ready to roll. So, um, but yeah, we, I snuck out two mornings, got into pigs one day. I got into two different groups of pigs in one day. First time on that piece of property. Well, second, I guess, because we went through there, me, my wife and my daughter drove through there one day on this WMA and took a look at it. And then what we did is we went, uh, then the next morning I went out there right at daybreak and started moving, Uh, you know, that night when we got home, I started mapping it out on on the computer, figuring out where I wanted to go, and then I checked the wind. And I went out there the next morning and within an hour, I was into a group of at least three pigs. I heard them, you know, was able to stalk in on them while I could hear them and got within 20 yards, but, um, they busted me and got out of there. And then, uh, then about an hour later, I had another pig come through. I watched him walking by himself. I saw him with my binoculars, you know, 60 yards away and he stopped walking. I like I lost him behind a pine tree and never seen him again. He never came out behind it. And uh, so I'm like, he probably betted right there. Sure enough, he did. And I snuck to within like, 12, 13 yards of him, but I couldn't shoot through the river cane. Um, couldn't get a clear shot in there. He was on the other side of the tree. If I go around that side of the tree, I'm getting winded. You know, it was one of those tricky kind of deal And anyway, I, I was I was next to him, 12 yards from him for probably 12 or 15 minutes, and finally he just didn't like the situation. I don't know if he caught a back draft or something got me, but he, he just bailed out of there hard and fast. So, But it was nice to – you know, it was, a, it was good. I was pretty excited. It was nice to be back into pigs a little bit.
0: And you're going to be heading back down here – a couple more times hunting pigs before the before the snow melts up there, right?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna try and get down there as much as I can. That's the game plan. You know, as is the goal is to get down there, you know, as much as work and stuff like that allows. There'll be a time hopefully within a few years from now where we'll basically be able to uh you know, just take off in mid December spend mid December through March, beginning of March down there and not come back at all. But we're I'm not at that stage yet. I'm working hard to get there, but I'm um, you know, I'm I'm not there yet.
0: Well, I hope I hope you and I can get together. It, you know, it'll kind of depend on on where you're hunting at and how far it is from the house. Because right now, I just you know I'm trying to I'm trying to stay pretty close to the house with you know with the the chemo treatments for for Lori and all that. I just I, I just don't feel good about you know being several hours away from home. But uh, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll find a. Either a, a local WMA that you and I can sync up on or, or something while you're coming down here. Because I don't guess I've seen you since, I guess it was last year when you were hunting up in uh, the Chattahoochee WMA that we got together. Was that last year or a year before last?
1: Two years ago. Was that it was two years, years ago. ago? That was my first time down. Yeah, two. that was uh, February, not this last February, but the one before. So basically two years ago. That was a lot of fun, though. I had a blast.
0: Well, I'll be honest. I've got, uh, I've I've sort of. So last year, you know, I didn't get out much at all last year because of some work, some things going on with work and so forth. And then I'll be honest, I was all keyed up and really planning on getting a good bit of hunting done this year. And then this thing with my wife came up, so I have managed to get out a, a few times. And, you know, the times that I have been out, you know, I've realized it, it made me realize that it means a lot to me and I'm, I'm just determined. I'll be honest, I'm really looking forward to, postseason rolling around I'm I'm planning on actually getting out and starting scouting you know just as the first chance I get after season ends uh which our season ends on the 10th I said the 15th the other day I think it was actually on the podcast I don't know where I got that in my head but it's the 10th but anyway um I've I've pretty much made a commitment that I'm not letting this happen again next year's next year's gonna be different I've, I've just like I said I've let I've let things get in the way that shouldn't. this is one of those situations where you know I've got no control over it, and there's nothing I can do or nor would I want to do anything about the situation I'm in right now but um where're I'm really looking for twenty twenty one to be a lot different but uh anyway,
1: for sure, and that's the beauty of the woods it's it's always sitting there waiting for you whenever you make the time to get out there you know,
0: and I'll be honest i was watching I was watching a lot of your your videos and and living rather vicariously through, through you and some others, the, you know, the hunting public, I watch a lot of their stuff. And, uh, uh, especially, you know, they had some hunts down here in, uh, in Georgia, one, one hunt with a couple of them down here in Georgia, but, uh, am you know, I've, I've, I've taken the time to rededicate some focus. I've, I've actually gotten a couple of videos up on YouTube the last two weeks, and I'm really going to push through, uh, release content on the traditional outdoors YouTube channel um, at least every other week is is my goal. Unless something just really sidelines me, I've I've gotten a lot of my uh, equipment squared away where I can I can do it pretty quickly now. I've actually been working on some just some old B roll footage to where I can get a little bit better and 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 quicker at the video editing aspect of it. So um, I'm I'm setting a goal. If I don't hit it, Jason, I'm expecting you to come after me and start yelling at me.
1: Well, I will, 'cause I I saw you put some new videos out. As a matter of fact, I've clicked on two of your videos. Um, like so, I click on them, and then that way they're in my history, so I can go back and watch them when I have time to. But like, I'm excited to watch your ground hunting one. You know, I mean, I but I I see you put a couple out recently. Like I said, I got them saved so that I can uh, definitely watch them and check them out. But yeah, the YouTube stuff is is huge. I mean, this podcast, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. It's been, uh, you know, I think this is year. I started in 2013, so what? It, I, that's uh, so you're looking at uh, eight years now of doing it almost, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. But the, the YouTube stuff is, uh, is is my favorite. I, I love the YouTube videos. You know, this is neat, and I enjoy the podcast. But the YouTube's where the power is for me.
0: Well, in the YouTube thing, I've got some stuff that I want to do that I think. Uh without giving anything away. You and I can talk about it a little bit offline maybe, but I wanna give away too much right now. But I've got some things that I wanna do. I've just gotta figure out how to use some of the uh the video editing capabilities to really highlight some of the things I'm wanting to do. But like I said, I don't want to give away too much right now and I'll but I'll figure it out. It'll just take me a little bit of time. But speaking of the podcast, we've been sitting here rambling along here for Probably about eight, 10 minutes now. Um, and we did have a topic we wanted to talk about. And I guess I should have mentioned up front that we're going to kind of release this simultaneous, simultaneously. So it will be a traditional outdoors podcast episode and a traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast episode at the same time. So I'm actually, that's the first time we've done that. So I'm kind of excited about it.
1: Yeah, I am too. It's going to go over really well, and uh, like I said, I mean, I'm sure we got a lot of carryover listeners between the two of us, but like I said, it's going to be a good topic, and uh, I'm excited to get out there. and we're going to make plans to do another one here real soon uh, together here, maybe even this week or whatever your schedule allows too that's going to be on my show, so I'm excited, man. It's, it's always good to have you on here.
0: Well, I got a lot of nights right now that I'm not doing much, so we can definitely make that happen, but this one, Uh, I don't know what, you know, I guess we'll call it the same across both shows, but I've pretty much decided that I'm going to call it trail camera conundrums. Uh, We kind of bounced the idea around a little bit earlier this week or late last week. I can't remember, but I've had some people that reached out to me uh, about trail cameras and and Nick's not one. Nick, as far as I know, he's never even owned a trail camera. I know you have, you know, used some in the past and... Uh, I thought it would just be a great topic because I think we're gonna find out here. But I think you and I have some very similar uh, thoughts around around trail cameras and the use of trail cameras. Uh, I, you know, I don't want this to be just a uh, uh, what we think kind of kind of discussion. But I think we've probably got some some ta- tactics we could talk about around trail cameras and and maybe some some helpful tips and that kind of thing we can throw out there. But Um, I do know that and I can't remember where I heard it Jason I don't remember if it was on a a podcast episode that you had recently or if it was a video but I do know that I heard you say um, that you've run trail cameras some in the past but you don't do it anymore is that right?
1: Correct I've been I was running trail cameras since the film days um, when they were 35 millimeter rolls of film and then actually I made one of the first um, versions of a digital one before they were even available. I being a photographer and having these, you know, photography skills, I would buy an Otter box and then I would buy an Olympus digital point and shoot camera. And then I bought a PR sensor, a whole bunch of other stuff, a soldering gun. And I would actually build these motherboards and build these kits themselves antennas on them and everything by buying all these pieces from Radio Shack. And I built 10 of these digital cameras, that were basically an otter box with an Olympus point and shoot in them. And they were, you know, they were, they were amazing. They were some of the best cameras I ever had. And, uh, but I built those and I was running those, you know, those 10 cameras for a lot of years. I mean, I've ran trail cameras so many different scenarios and situations and so many uses. I've probably owned close to a hundred of them, you know, in the years past total. Um, you know, overall, but, uh, but yeah, in a, I'll be honest with you in the last probably four or five years, I haven't even hung one anywhere. Um, but like I said, you know, I, uh, I used them pretty religiously, but not really for hunting, but for many other purposes well out there, you know, to gain that kind of info.
0: And I, I definitely want us to talk about a little bit of that. Cause I think we're probably pretty much on the same, on the same wavelength there. I will go back and say, I never, I never got around to trying to build my own camera. That's pretty impressive. I did have, um, I did own one of the first ones that used 35 millimeter, uh, film. And I will tell you this, I set it up. I left it for, I don't know, probably three months. I went back and pulled it. The batteries were dead. It had actually, uh, taken two pictures and then looked like it chewed up the film. Uh, so anyway, it was just a a disaster, (laughs) but I will tell you this, and this is the kind of things that a a young a young man's mind goes through that really doesn't know what the heck he's doing. But when I was and I when I was in my late teens, was trying to I was hunting with a, a compound my dad had given me for my 16th birthday, and I'm trying to figure this out. I didn't have, I didn't know anything. I was literally trying to learn everything, you know, through magazine articles at the time. Um and I came up and it it's I will say it's semi worked, but I would actually go and find heavily used trails, and I would tie light thread across the the trail at what I thought was about chest height to a deer, and then I would go back and check it to see if anything had walked through, and I didn't know I was just completely ruining the the area for any chance of ever killing anything and you know, any, any animal that walked through there was doing it most likely at night, but you know, you'd at least get that. It's definitely a deer trail because a raccoon or something couldn't have, it doesn't stand high enough to break the string. And you could convince yourself that you knew which direction the animal was traveling because of the way the string broke and the way, anyway, I did that for years, not years, but quite often when I was much younger and thought I was actually learning something and being successful. And I was really doing more harm than good, but.
1: You know, we, uh, I used to use that, that same tactic. It was kind of funny, actually, because I had a, a guy that used to trap with me. Um, you know, way back in the day. He actually taught me how to trap, but I was getting into deer hunting. He wasn't too much of a deer hunter, but I did the same thing with the thread and uh, you know, put it there and then I'm like, okay. And, and so I was so proud of this. It'll tell me which way that deer is walking on that trail. So I went out there, put it. He was out there with me. I said, hey, let's, you know, we were running trap lines. I said, hey, I got a, a spot over here. I put some thread across there. Let's go take a look at it. Sure enough, that thread was broken. That string was stretched out there about, you know, 10, 12 feet in one direction. I'm like, look at it. It tells me he was going from this way over to hear and the guy looks down he says yeah this track right here on the ground tells you the same exact thing (laughs) (laughs) like i guess it does doesn't it
0: (laughs) and i was probably going back and checking these things every other day and then i'd turn around and when i saw that i'd had an animal pass through i'd set up a you know i'd put up a stand and hunt it and you know it just just didn't know any better you know, that, like I said, that's been that's been yep. many years ago, and, and and like you would probably expect, it took me a couple of years to to get that first deer with a bow, but my first one was with a bow, so I just kept after it.
1: Nice, and we used to use those. Then they came out with the timer ones, where you could put that string would go onto a zip tie that went into a little ca- or into a clock. Um, and you would mount that clock and zip tie on a tree and then run it across the trail. And then it would tell you what time that deer walked through there. Those were really cool. And then we used them on a bear hunt. So, uh, my first few bear hunts, we went on, we'd have that bait barrel set up and I would actually put that timer on a tree and connect the string, the yarn from there over and tie that thread around, uh, you know, around one of the sticks in a barrel. And, uh, so when he came in and knocked that bait over, it would stop that clock and tell me what time he was in there. Those were pretty handy.
0: I've never, I never used one of those, uh, never used one of those. And I, I was sitting here trying to remember, I mean, that, that first, that first 35 millimeter film camera, that has not been that long ago. I mean, the, the, the trail camera thing is something that I think, you know, it started out pretty doggone simple and, and it got pretty, pretty technical pretty quickly with the, you know, the digital cameras and those kind of things. So. Uh, but it hasn't been that long ago and i i could actually carry you and probably show you about the exact tree that i put it on uh on public land years ago and it had it like two miles from the truck so i never even worried about anybody stealing it but uh yeah a long way to walk in to be disappointed to find the films all chewed up inside uh
1: Yep. And even some of those camera ones, you know, those ones that I would make, I'd put them out there. And if you put them in the wrong spot, the sun, you know, the sun for eight hours a day, you know, like if I faced them towards the south, that sun would heat up that sensor and I'd get out there and I'd have 3000 images and it would basically just be every second of the sun. (laughs) Right, right. It'd be the same picture over and over again, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, I remember it was, you know, I want to say it was around 2002, 2003, somewhere near that I was building them and putting them out there, the digital ones. And they were finicky. I mean, the trail cameras today are amazing. You know, they're incredible. I remember, you know, going back to when I started quit using the ones I made and I started buying them. I bought like a stealth cam or a stealth. What is the? Uh, is stealth cam? I think I bought a stealth cam and a Bushnell and a and another brand. I put them all on a tree and I did the walk by test to see which one would pick them up and you know all this kind of stuff and see how long the lag time was and then to return the two that didn't work the best. And I remember going through a whole bunch of those phases with them. But like I said, the stuff they got out now is just amazing compared to that stuff.
0: So Jason, I guess let's let's, and I do want to talk. You know, some at some point, I want to bring up some of the 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 laws that have actually been passed, and there's there's some that they're actually um, kind of on the books right now. That I think there's a potential that there's there's going to be some new legislation coming to play in the next year or two years. But we'll save that for a little bit later because I don't want to get into that good bad thing just yet. Uh, I would rather spend a little bit of time talking about you know, the ways you've used them in the past. Um, and I, again, I think it's some of the same things that I've done. Before I do that, I, I will ask, since you, you know, you've kind of stopped using them, you know, what, uh, what, was, the, what was the catalyst for just not using them at all for you?
1: Well, I, uh, I used them mostly in the off season. Okay, I used them for to extend my season and something to give me a a look forward to kind of thing most of the time. Now when I first started using them, I was putting them right into my hunting spots, you know. And we'll talk tactics cuz I've learned a lot of ways to do it and I've had a lot of them stolen and I a lot of stuff. So we'll we'll cover that for you. But it, you know, up when I was last using them, the only way I was using them was to give me that Kid on Christmas morning when I went and checked them. So I would put them out in the off season through the winter, spring, and summer. I would put them out there and I'd check them about every week. And it was just like that Thursday afternoon when I knew I was going to go walk in the woods, get some fresh air, and check my trail cameras was just an exciting something to look forward to. So that's what I used them for. Um, and then it got to a point where it was just too busy. You know, I mean, it was like, all right, if I'm going to be in the woods, I need to be out there scouting, I need to be doing other things. Um, I was just more limited. So it was just something that kind of went to the wayside and I just never got around to putting them out there. Plus we got so many people now that the theft has become such a problem um, in Northern Michigan with these things. It's just un- unbelievable. You know, you, you losing one, two a year, you know, all right, I'll accept that. It's kind of the normal. But when you get to a point where you're losing five a year, you get pretty fed up with it. You know, you just, I mean, it just really, losing the cameras is one thing, but the the bitterness you get in your, your gut for for hunters and how pissed you get at them and how disgusted you get with them. It just wasn't worth it anymore. I just hated, I didn't want to deal with it, you know, and I didn't want to look at people that way and think that they're all that bad. So it was really that what made me pretty much stop using them.
0: And that's interesting. And I, I will say I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I don't, and like I said, you will talk about tactics in a minute, but I will tell you that I rarely if ever, put a camera anywhere that I actually think I, pl- I, will, I will hunt. Now, I'm not talking about property. I'm talking about specific locations, uh, and there's multiple reasons for that. One, I, it, it takes a lot of effort for me to not go check a camera. Um, so, you know, if I, if I just can't stand it anymore and I want to go pull a card, I don't want to be walking into an area that that, you know, I'm potentially going to be hunting later. And I don't run them during, I don't run them during hunting season. For the most part, if I put cameras out, I will put cameras out right after season ends. So somewhere within a week to two weeks after, you know, early January, um, I will typically go pull them again before Turkey season starts because they will, they will grow legs and they will walk off. Um, and then i put, I may put cameras back out after Turkey season and generally, if I don't go in and pull those like in early August, I may actually leave them until the first time I actually go hunt of uh, track of land. And I may just make a point of pulling the camera as I'm walking out from a hunt kind of thing. So it sounds like kind of the same thing you do or used to do.
1: Yep. And I mean, and Ed, uh you know, it was nice and it worked good. I think tactic wise though i mean like if we're looking at it from an aspect of your listeners my listeners people who are listeners they're going to want to know how to use them I think there are some very solid rules that will get you in a lot of trouble if you break them when it comes to these trail cameras. Now, we're using them, you and me are using them mainly in the off season, and that's one thing. But when you're going to buy a trail camera with the intent on using it to gain knowledge for your hunting spot, um there's a, I, I know what I learned in the early days from this, and I'm sure you're similar with it, but uh you don't want to put them where you're putting your tree stands. You know, I see that everywhere up here. I I mean, we're in Michigan. We got it's illegal to bait here. Yet I walk across bait piles with a ladder stand, a pile of corn, and a trail camera on that pile of corn pretty much, you know, 25, 30 times a year. They're everywhere here. Um, And that is putting a a trail camera in the spot you're going to hunt, I don't believe is a smart thing to do. I I don't think it's a good idea. Um, You feel the same with that, I'm assuming, or no?
0: Well, so I will go a step further. And I knew we would go down this path. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there now yes, everything that you said, I agree with. I also, I use the trail, for me, the trail cameras are as much to extend my season. Uh, like you said, I kind of like to be able to, to feel like I'm, 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 I'm thinking like a hunter. I'm going in and putting a camera in a place where I know I'll see deer. Uh, yeah, I like knowing if a, if a, if a, you know, a nice size buck or something made it through the season. Not so much because I think there's really a, uh, uh, I don't, I don't go in and hunt a specific deer. So just because I see there's a big deer on a track of public land, I don't necessarily, I'm just not the type that goes in and tries to target an animal. I just, I like going in. I would much rather go in and set up in an area where I'm going to see five, six, seven deer in a sit than one specific deer. That's just that's just me, um, but it still gives me a way to extend the season. I don't, I don't personally think, and this is uh, this is my thoughts. So before everybody starts sending me and Jason hate mail on this one, I'm not telling you, say, telling you somebody's unethical. For me, it just doesn't seem ethical to use a camera as a means of knowing when a deer is moving through a specific area, or in some cases, and I've seen people post this, they have the camera set up and if they see the animal moving in a certain direction, they immediately haul butt and get set up to try to intercept them. That's not me. I, the people that are doing that, you know, I, again, I'm not going to call somebody unethical. If it's legal, (laughs) it's legal, but to me, that's not hunting. And so I, you know, I, I I, do own a couple of cellular cameras, but those cameras are not typically out during hunting season either. I just, I pull them all. Where I might use one of those cameras is if during the off season, I'm wanting to set up a camera on a certain place that I think might be a general high traffic area. And I, I may set a camera like that up to where I'm actually, I don't have to go in there and check the camera. I, you know, I'll get the the picture sent to me, but here's what I'll tell you. I've owned two of those cameras and both of them have been nothing but a pain in the butt. And I don't know that I'll even put them back out again, just because they're so finicky. They don't, they don't work half the time. You're, you know, you're potentially paying for the, the, um, the pictures that get transmitted and those cameras still have the problems that you were talking about a few minutes ago, where if you set them in the right place and the sun hits the ground the right way, it'll sit there and take pictures for, you know, it'll take a hundred pictures a day and, and you can't control it. So, but anyway, I know people that have set up cellular cameras and the whole purpose is they get a picture to their phone and they're off to the races and they're trying to get up and set up and head off that, that buck. That's not, I, that that's where I think you know I don't have a problem with some of the legislation that's being talked about about uh restricting the use of trail trail cameras especially during hunting season that's just that's not the way I use them and don't I don't honestly I don't feel like they should be used in that manner so
1: Yep, and I think you were a little too polite on that. If you're, I mean, I hear these stories about guys that uh, they have a, you know, they got five hundred acres and they got seventy five trail cameras out there. They're all cellular. I, I'm, I'm totally against the cellular trail camera. I don't think it's a good idea because it, it promotes people to do bad things. And you hear, I mean, if it's if you're one of those guys that's got seventy five trail cameras up and you're sitting at home on your couch and you watch. You, you watch Buck number 356 walk by trail camera 8, and then he walks by trail camera 11, and you're like, okay, he's heading to this uh, spot here. He's going to pass by trail camera number 16 in a half hour, and you put your, you know, you grab your bow and go out there and climb a tree and wait for him to walk by there 10 minutes later and you shoot him. You're the kind of, you know, I, that's unethical. You should be punched in the face three times. <laughs> you know, that's not the right way to use these things. Um, and it should be banned, you know, so, and I'm hoping that the legislation, which I don't know what it is, but I'm hoping and what you're talking about is to defeat that because that is that is there's a reason that you can't use drones for hunting there's a reason that you can't fly and, and hunt the same day in many places there's a reason that these laws exist and is to keep people from being unethical and in my opinion that crap is unethical so cell or cell cams they do bother me if they are abused, if, but if people are using them to try and avoid having to go in there and set up an area to check and see what's going on, more power to them. I still think it's a horrible thing to use at a hunting spot. I think you're, you know, but people that use them for inventory and want to know what's going on out there, more, more power to them, I guess. But uh, yeah, like I said, I think the sell aspect, to send it to your phone, instant message now, um, that I think is, uh, is like I said, it's, it's a recipe for, uh, to promote people to do very bad things with them, you know.
0: And and I I will agree with you. And here's what I will tell you to that point, And I guess just for anybody listening to understand. The only reason I even picked up the two that I had, there was a gentleman that I know, and you know him too, I'm not going to mention his name, but you know who he is, um, that had posted something on Facebook, I think it was a year before last, and either he or somebody that he knew was uh, a rep for Five Point, I'll throw the name out there, I don't care because I think their cameras are garbage, but um, he had two that he was going, that had been used as demos, and got both of them for a real good price. And the only reason I got them is I've got, up until this year, I had some property that's about two hours away that I hunted with Jerry Russell. I know you've heard me talk about Jerry Russell. And I wanted the cameras so I could carry them down there in January and set them and leave them. And I didn't have to go, I didn't have to go pull cards. I didn't have to do anything. They would just send me a picture and because it was, again, it was two hours away. And the gentleman that owns that property, we lease it for hunting, but he does not, he does not want people on the property outside of deer season or the immediate, the immediate roughly month before and after kind of thing. So, um, and both of them, like I said, they crapped out and, uh, I ended up when I pulled them, one of them poured water out of them. So uh, anyway, long story short, the, the cameras that I use predominantly or whatever I can get on sale, I've got the i don't think i've got any two cameras alike unless i bought them in a as a two pack because it was a it was on sale so uh i haven't even gone as far as yep. you've done where i check the trigger speeds i just buy what's ever cheapest
1: right yep and and i've been through the the trigger speed matters now again you know even i think i still have six or seven cameras now i got a couple bushnells and a few moultries um haven't touched them in a few years but um, you know, but the trigger speed is important, especially if you're, it's not important if you're using them for bear hunting, it's not important, you know, cause you're going to put it on a bait station. So it's going to trigger and you're good. Now I will say this though, when I pulled that last Michigan tag to hunt bear, I had a mole tree. I put both out there, I put a mole tree and I put a Bushnell camera on there just cause I was in an experimental mode, but I put them both on the same tree it you know eight yards away from my my bait site and uh, it would be interesting because i would go out there and i had them both set up the same way to fire every second you know because i want I, I run them tight especially when i was running them on trails and intersections you you know you want them where you're you know because you might just get a butt shot on one so you want to run them as tight as you quit is you know fastest trigger you can um so i had them run as quick as they could but it was interesting because like one camera would have like 50 images and the other one would have like 125 and i would look at them and can I'm like, Oh my God, this one never even caught when his bear walked through here. Then it didn't pick up this coyote that did here, but the other one did, you know, so it is important to, to test these cameras. Don't go by what the box says. Don't go by what people say. Um, you know, again, Way back in the day, we're going back at least 10, 12, 15 years from now. But I remember one those stealth cams or whatever they were. Um, at, you know, the I bought it because C and Cirillos were like, "Oh, this is the best thing in the world," and they were loving them. And I was watching their, you know, their bear. Their bear hunt videos—they got like six or eight of them. They were great videos, um, but they were swearing—they were sponsored by and loved stealth cam So I went out and I bought some, and I—I uh, I remember I put them on a tree and I put them on a tree next to my homemade ones, and my homemade ones blew them out of the water. I could walk by at a regular pace and pass by that thing at, at ten yards in front of it, and it would not pick me up at all. Where mine got three pictures of me, you know. So you need to test these things and make sure that they're good. Even things like Cuttyback—I remember when Cuttyback used to—I don't know what they are now. But they used to every or talk about quarter second trigger speed. Well, my neighbor went and bought one, so he went and bought one. I said, bring it over here. Let's put it on a tree next to these and do some comparisons. And I had the Bushnell's and the Mole Trees and all these cameras, and we stuck them up there. And uh, so we had like six cameras on a tree. We walked by them, and I'm like, God, you know, we're looking at the pictures. I'm like, yeah, you know, why your cutting back? It's quarter second pictures is because it's catching them. The sensor is catching them at like, uh, let's say it. Uh, let's just use a number. Say at 45 degree angle where all the cameras are picking it up and then taking a picture. The Cuddyback was catching it there, but it was not even firing until it was in the center of that thing. So you were getting a lot of, like, Butt shots or just, uh, you know, like I said, half of my shoulders cutting off my face. You weren't getting that exact perfect picture because their their shoot zone was actually much narrower because of their, they had a wide trigger zone but a small window for the shot. Um, so it's really interesting. It's it's worth testing them again today. I don't know what the new ones are like, but I bet it's probably still very worth your time to test these cameras you know, see what they're going to have, what's going to benefit you. If you're going to take them in the woods where you're going to put them on an intersection, an edge or something, somewhere where deer are not going to be stationary and feeding at a bait site or at a mineral lick, they're going to be just cruising by. You're going to want that trigger speed and that fast recycle time.
0: So so let's let's talk about that a little bit, Jason. You're talking about, you know, where where you might be setting up a camera. I'd like to hear some of the, if, if you were going out and, setting up cameras to extend your season kind of thing. Again, not necessarily setting up a a camera to monitor the area you think you might want to hunt, but what kind of areas are you, what kind of places are you looking for to put a camera out to extend your season kind of thing, to to get the idea of deer numbers or that kind of thing?
1: Well, and it also, it depends on the time of year, because again, I'm not using them for hunting. I'm not even using them for inventory. I never, I never like trusting a camera to tell me what kind of deer are around there. Cause I've, you know, I've, I've got great pictures of bucks in the summertime and then you never see them in the fall. And I've also had spots where I put them that showed almost no deer, and then I go in there, you know, on camera throughout the early season, you know, spring, summer, and fall, or, you know, winter, spring, and summer, and I go out there and hunt it because the sign's hot in the, in the fall, and I see, have some of the best hunting days I've ever had. So I, I never really liked relying on my cameras for any real value of what's going to happen during deer season and the off season. So with that said... In the wintertime, I was putting those cameras into places where I knew that there would be, uh, you know, bedding areas between the bedding areas and the feeding areas where there's, you know, where I knew there would be real super thick deer yard type bedding areas to get them out of the wind. The snow levels would be shallower in there because of the pine cover and things like that. Um, And they would uh, then travel from there into browse areas. Well, I would put those on those heavy trails that are in the snow where, you know, so it's pretty easy, but it would give me some amazing pictures and I would have a lot of fun with it. When spring rolled around um, my main goal was to catch the fawns and the things like that. And just, uh, cause it was just neat to have those pictures. So I would put those in those, uh, grassy doe, what I would call like a doe breeding or uh, birthing area where they're going to have that security. Um, and I would put those where they would travel around in there and that kind of stuff. And it's pretty neat. You got a lot less pictures, but you got a lot of cool, really, really neat fawn pictures. And then through the rest of the summer, you were, I'd start putting them where I'm trying to see any kind of antler growth. And so I'd put them into those places where I'd catch them on intersections of, right on the you know we hunt a lot of you know deer are obviously creatures of transition lines you know they're they're on the edge all the time well during hunting season they're in the thick nasty side of that edge In the in the off season and in the summer they're usually on that softer side where they're going to be a little less prone to damage and antlers and it's a little easier walking and there's no pressure out there for them so i would put those on those transition lines And then especially at where the transition line would intersect with a crossover or some kind of a funnel through a bog or around, you know, on the end of one or something that would give me multiple avenues of travel where I get the most options and I would set them up there. And then then the last thing I would do is in early September, I would run them in places just because I wanted to. I would run them for those first couple weeks of September um, on any white oaks that were falling. And that was more experimental in places that I had no intentions of hunting. But, I just was trying to learn how they they use these in the directions of travel for' them. but uh that's basically what I was doing with mine
0: so some similarities there some differences, and obviously some of the biggest differences we don't we don't have deer yards, you know we're i s- i hunt ninety percent of the time ninety five percent of the time that's just not something that we deal with here so just like I was talking about it in, in the, one of the videos that you were talking about that I just released the late season food source. We have food sources here that year round. I mean, there's always something for deer to eat. We, you know we just, we just right. don't have that. Some things that I, that I do a little bit differently. If I go out and set, and I don't like the idea of trying to get inventory either. I would say the closest thing that I probably do to that, Jason, is I do. And that's the first thing, the first example I'm going to give. If I'm setting up cameras, in January, I'm typically setting up to try to see if, you know, any bucks that I knew were in the areas that I'm, that I'm placing the cameras made it through the season. So, and we have, we actually have rutting that takes place mid January. We will have some rut activity that takes place mid February. And we've even, I've even seen bucks chasing and, and caught bucks on camera in uh, March that still had horns we have wow. we just have some weird stuff here and especially in georgia but i think it occurs in a lot of other areas in the south but um i will actually set cameras along uh edges that i know has that's good for that's prime for doe batting and a lot of times you know i will catch bucks cruising in mid to late January cruising the edges of that, that thick cover trying to scent check for does. Once once February's rolled around, you can pretty much go ahead and move them. But you know, they still they still do that. A lot of that's still at night, but it still happens. The other things that I like to do, I like to set up cameras in areas that I know there's a very high probability I'm never going to hunt. I hunt a lot of hill country, so I'm putting up cameras in um thick areas of cover with high traffic areas i think um basically it's where it's where in the evenings the the thermal settle um in fault's got a name he calls it and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head but you can find these areas in in creek drainages and in between valleys multiple points you've you there's a lot of you'll find a lot of rub sign you'll find a lot of uh travel sign and I honestly think a lot of what happens is you know whitetails are drawn to this area late in the evenings because they're they are social and it gives them a a good opportunity to smell a lot of pretty much every deer in the area um and i will set up cameras there and i will set up cameras on um creek crossings and those kind of things again in those low areas that i'm i'm just not likely to hunt just because of thermals and scent uh, i just i don't hunt them much um and the other one that i that i do a lot is uh saddles especially if i'm up, if i'm setting some cameras on uh public land i will typically get back in and i will find saddles there i know there's a lot of crossing activity that's taking place but it's not necessarily an area i would hunt i used to try to hunt saddles a lot but the wind is just you it's just so unpredictable it's almost impossible to you you get busted more than you actually have success in my opinion and i think you and i've actually talked about this in one of our other podcasts that we that i've had you on but i i typically try to get off on one side uh of a of a saddle off off one of the points um Instead of actually hunting right in the saddle, which I used to do quite a bit. I'm trying to think if there's any other areas. I agree.
1: agree.
0: Go ahead, man. I'm yeah, sorry. With the
1: saddles, I'm with you. It's, you're fine. But with the saddles, I'm with you. I, uh, I, I don't live in – I don't hunt – hill country all the time, but I do mostly, I mean, I spent all of November in hill country and, uh, yeah, I learned that quick too. I don't sit in the saddles because then even then it's like I said, the wind is brutal, but on the same note, you're only getting one direction of travel, which is through the saddle. If you drop out of that saddle and drop down onto the leeward hillside, not only do you get the direction going through the saddle, you also get the, you know, the, the third line run in the ridge, um, and not going into that saddle. So you gain two travel routes right there. So I'm with you and then you get much more consistent wind so you get the traffic through the saddle and uh, the perpendicular you know or parallel of the ridge um traffic right there too i'm with you much better place to be
0: well then you know something that less and uh honestly and truly a trail camera taught me part of this um years ago jason and we'll talk i want to talk a little bit about you you, you were talking about the the camera theft and i've got some suggestions there i'll throw out but one of the things that a lot I think a lot of people do at this point is elevate their cameras so a lot of times if I'm setting cameras on public land I'm carrying at least one climbing stick with me um and I'll get the camera up you know yeah it,
1: and I've heard people have really good luck right
0: head high or a little bit higher than head high off the ground and I'd actually done this on a saddle and I can't even remember the camera this was a year two years back maybe three years back but what I found in, in when I went back and pulled that And started looking at the deer activity that was going through it when I set the camera on that saddle what I expected to see and the reason I placed it was I was actually expecting to catch animals crossing through the saddle because it's the path of least resistance it's the low point right but what I was finding was there was a large number of of deer that were actually never crossing that saddle and what they were doing they were using like you said that leeward side but they're coming up they're coming up the leeward side of one point that's feeding into that saddle, and they never actually crossed over. They stayed on that leeward side even through the saddle, and then kept going down a point on the other side. If that makes sense, but they never actually crossed through yeah, the saddle. side
1: hill and a finger.
0: Exactly. Well, like I said, yeah, right. like, side
1: hill and a finger on the way up. Right,
0: and never, never actually came through the saddle, and that that shocked me a little bit. Um, cause I was really, I set the camera and it just happened to be facing in a way that it caught a lot of that travel, but I was really expecting to see more activity crossing through this saddle. Like I said, crossing through the low point coming from one, one Valley going over to another Valley. And that's not what I saw. There was some, but not a ton.
1: Yep. And not to get too off topic, but I'll tell you, when it comes to that Hill Country stuff, I have learned that it's uh, it's almost, you know, I call it being like Tony Stark, but you got to kind of look at that map and a topo um and and figure the how all that stuff works but then it's almost better to just in your mind just extrude that all out and then mentally walk the lines where you're going if this is where you think they're betting if it's on these points or this area and if this is where they're going to head to and then you try to almost visualize yourself walking it and you'll almost be able to build those trails and how they're going to use it and what it is and you know it's it's pretty neat how i'll I'll tell you what i i I look forward to the day of sometimes spending You know more time in almost you know maybe even living in that hill country stuff but i mean there's so much uniqueness to hunting hill country i straight up love it but that's like you said with that how you were expecting a but b is what happened you know i've had that happen too i put a um, camera out on that bear set that i was telling you about where i was running those two cameras um i at the at the very last hurrah thing to try and get that bear in during daylight i had uh um I left the bait where it was and I went further into the woods where he was coming from and was hoping to catch him before he would come in and circle around and scent check last day tactic and hurrah. And, uh, and it didn't pan out and then I was kind of pissed, you know, and I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to take this camera and just for the heck of it, I'm going to walk back by there and I'm going to put it there and I'm going to see if what at least I attempted to do was correct. And it just didn't happen for me that time or see what was going on. So I grabbed that camera, Walked it back there, that you know, eighty yards. Hung it on that tree, you know, just ha- hoping to catch that bear to see what he would do. And I left it, and then I never came back to get it. Forgot about it, left it, and then winter had come. You know, this was in September. You know, winter hunting season came and went. Winter came and went. No, I was not worried about anybody stealing it because I was way in a swamp. I mean, there was no chance of anybody ever being there. Um, and uh, but so then I went back in in spring. I went back and grabbed it, and what I noticed is I never did see that bear. He never did come through there again, so I was completely screwed up on that whole process. It was, you know, not didn't work. But what I had found is that during gun season, which starts on November 15th and ends on November 30th, but you get one deer a week or something, it would happen to pass by that camera over there. But on November 16th through November 30th, there was like two or three bucks through there every single day in daylight. And it was, and then as soon as like December 3rd or 4th got here, no deer again on it whatsoever. But it was like, wow. You know, and it just showed because those deer had been pushed by other hunters into that nasty swamp. And we're spending so much daytime there and actually rutting and moving around inside that swamp where nobody could get to without hip boots and misery. Um, And those deer were fully active daytime and everything in there. And I always said that if I were make it back here to hunt during gun season, I would go in there. And I have not yet. I have not been able to get back in there, you know, here for gun season. But if I do, I'm going into that spot based on what I learned from that trail camera that was put there by basically mistake and left by mistake.
0: Well, and that's the. I think that's a a good point, Jason. And I I would be the first to say there are a lot of people. And at least I I feel like based on the conversations that I have, there are a lot of people that that struggle with knowing where 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 to set up or maybe where the the they stand the best opportunity to see to see deer. It's it's like a it's it's like a puzzle you have to figure out, right? And and a lot of people I honestly believe a lot of people year after year almost just get lucky instead of intentionally putting themselves in a place where they know they're going to see animals. You know, the the R C Carters, the Chris Spikes, those kind of guys, you know, they 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 Robert card will tell you he won't even put up a tree stand unless he's you know ninety nine percent confident he's gonna shoot a deer um i don't even have that confidence right. at this point but i know a yeah, lot he'll
1: he'll walk two miles and not stop till he gets to the sign he needs
0: exactly exactly right and he he hunts a little bit differently and i i i i see myself as being You know, I will, if I find a, if I find a food tree that I know is getting hit hard, I'll sit up on it and hunt it. And it's definitely been successful for me and I still use it. But at the same time, if, if I am, maybe I've only got an afternoon to hunt where, you know, I've got to slip in and I might get to hunt two hours. I don't have time to roam for three hours to look for a feed tree to set up on. But if I know where a funnel's at, that I've marked on a GPS and there's a good chance that there's, I know there's bedding on one end, there's food on the other, and there's a good chance that a whitetail's going to walk through it, that's, that's, I would say that's the, the majority of the hunting that I get to do. It's short notice, and that's nothing against RC, it's just, I don't have, I just don't have that time to go and necessarily walk every, every time I go out until I can find an active food tree. Um. Uh, great way to hunt if you can do it. I just can't do it. But what I'm getting at is, for these people that are trying to learn some of that, in my opinion, that's probably the best use of a trail camera. If you think you can, if you think you can locate a funnel on a topo map, or even looking at uh, a, a satellite view, uh, mark it on a GPS. If you feel comfortable doing it, go put a trail camera on it leave it for a month or two and then see what, you know, see if your your hunch is right. I'll be perfectly honest. That's where I learned a lot of the things that, that I use today. I can go and see that there's tracks there, um, but I can't necessarily, I'm not good enough to know if that, if those tracks were made six months ago or even a year ago. But being able to look at a topo map and understanding that, you know, deer are going to a lot of times use that path of the least resistance. Maybe it's a saddle or maybe it's, you know, side hilling of a, a, a finger ridge or maybe it's a. Maybe it's using using shaded relief on a topo map to understand how steep uh, a valley or grade is. And I can look at the contour lines to know that if an animal wants to move from point A to point B, they're not going to go down that 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 steep valley and climb up the other steep side they're going to walk till they can cross right at the at the top of that that i might, this is hard to explain <laughs> but I think you know what I'm talking about they're going to go where at the, at the top of that yeah. drop off and a lot of times you can go and look at that and you can see that I mean it'll be worn down to the ground because they're 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 crossing over without going any further than they have to to avoid that steep, the steep walls of that 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 real steep valley, um, you've probably got right. some better They're examples. A bench.
1: bench or a cut? Yep. Yeah, but I know exactly what you're meaning. You're, you're basically, you're putting them in a funnels. You're learning where they're going to teach you where those funnels are. And it's the same concept with one of the key things that I definitely learned from trail cameras was understand, you know, which was an aha moment, like really. And then you start looking for it and paying attention to it was how deer use terrain differently during the day than they do at night, how they use it. You know, you learn things from watching these trail cameras in the off season, but their ta- their attitude is still the same. So I was like, you're talking about how you would learn how they would use the terrain features of that hillside for travel paths. Um, you also see here because we don't have a lot of terrain features like we don't have hill country here it's mostly flat but we have the the pinch points and the funnels and the things like that and then but you learn quickly how to identify micro transitions because you set one up on these heavy trails and then you get two or three deer that walk down this heavy trail in a week but on the same note you're catching glimpses of 30 deer that are passing just inside of this cover over in the corner your camera's barely catching it but you're not even aimed over there you didn't even know they were using it but that's where they're coming through You would learn where they walk during daytime, where they walk during nighttime. You would learn that they will, the deer here are less worried about being in cover in the morning, returning to bed, versus coming from bedding to feeding in the evening they will be in more thick cover um probably because they've been out all night so they're a little their guard is down when they're coming back in the morning uh versus when they're coming out at night it's a whole new world so you learn all these things from you know the the things that you witness on these cameras you know and it's a very powerful tool there's no doubt about it you know um but and they've been very beneficial for that and and keep in mind the only thing it's not hunting is not hard i mean i mean uh gene wentzel nailed it perfectly in his you know hunting no or or come november i mean all you have to do is find one tree that more deer walk by than any other tree just find that tree it's all like i do
0: yeah but and i agree i agree with that point <laughs> but the challenge therein lies and where I, I again i think the cameras do potentially serve a purpose especially for people that are that are really trying to fine-tune or hone their skills is you you can leave that camera out there for a couple of months and you're not going in and and leaving your scent and disturbing the population and changing their, pattern, their behaviors and their patterns and all this other stuff. And I will say, you know, there are people that hate trail cameras. I'm not necessarily going to say that they're wrong, but the flip side of that is you do have people. I was one of them. I didn't have anybody to teach me. I had to learn the hard way. And regardless of what anybody will tell you, you can't, I'm not going to say you can't, you, you could potentially sit back from an observation post day after day after day and watch, you know, watch deer activity. But who, you know, the average person doesn't have the time to do that. You just don't. So you have to find ways to maximize what you can learn. Um, and there's other ways besides the cameras. I mean, how many people do you know that get in a tree stand, they don't see anything within shooting range, but they might see five, six, seven deer, 50, 60, 70 yards out. And oh, well, they get down, they head back to the truck and they go home and they never take the time to get down and go and walk and try to figure out why were those deer 50 yards away from me when I thought they should have been here. What what's the reason for that? Right. And it's just a lost opportunity. And I know a lot of people just they don't do it. And some of the reasons that they'll give you a crazy team. I'm sorry, Jason.
1: I was just going to say, and if you're one of those people that you're sitting in his tree stand and you see, if you see 10 deer walk by that are 50 yards away from you, you should have got down after the third deer walked over there and immediately moved over there, hung your stand and then killed deer number four, not even getting to number 10. You know, don't let those opportunities pass you by. Um, Take it, you know, I mean, that's, that's how I hunt. My out of state hunts that happens to me almost daily there where it's that scenario where it's you know I set up and I'm I'm 30 yards off of where I need to be and it's like okay I see one deer over there okay that's fine two more deer come by over there and I haven't seen nothing where I am I'm dropping my stand and pulling and moving over there you know don't be afraid to dive in on those things Sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there. I know where you're going, and you're going to say, you know, they'll walk away from it, never come back to it, and they give up on it. And you're right. That's a horrible thing. But on the same note, take it even a little more aggressively. If you're in that situation that's happening, get down immediately, move over there, and set up. If you're in a permanent stand or a ladder stand and you don't have that luxury, when you see those deer starting to move over there, start looking for somewhere to get on the ground. Watch Steve's video on his ground hunting tactics, and then do that same kind of thing, and then get over there and be ready to to get into them there. Don't let those Opportunities
0: pass you by. So actually, I—that's—I uh, mean, I'm glad you jumped in with that point. That actually is not where I was going to to go with that. I would say that the average the average argument that I hear is, "Well, I don't want to, I don't want to get down and mess up the area. um You've already messed up the area. You're hunting it. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I think way too many people rely on too few spots." to where they're over hunting them uh, but I agree with you if if you if if it, if it becomes apparent that you're in the wrong place move because you shouldn't be going back to that general area for at least two if not three or four weeks anyway uh, at least that again that's the way I try to approach it I can't always do that but um, it, you've already messed it up the deer know the deer are yep. going to know you were there. You're yep. you're, you're fooling yourself philosophy. to think otherwise.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of people that say, well, I'm going to kind of hunt my way into it. This is a sanctuary. I don't want to go in there. I'll start out here far as observation, then I'll move in. And that's probably great for people that are, are, like you said, trophy hunting, looking for a specific deer, that kind of thing. But I'm the exact opposite. If somebody says sanctuary area, I'm going, okay, that's where I'm going to hang my stand. I'm going there on day one immediately. You know, I'm I'm in there. And if it doesn't work, then I just go find a new sanctuary. But I I want that, uh, you know, I, I want that little more aggressive you know, approach. I'm just getting it to point that, You know, when you, I think too many people, like you said, they're afraid to uh, to do that. And there's a lot of people that, you know, I hear it all the time, all hunting season. Oh, I was in a good spot, and, you know, I saw three shooter bucks, but they were all down the ridge and wouldn't come up high enough to me. Well, after you saw one or two shooter bucks down there, you probably should have moved down there. You know, there's no reason for you to sit up there 50 yards out of range when there's perfect you know when you could just get down and move over there where all the activity is you know when a deer walks in the woods he leaves scent on the ground deer don't follow trails visually they don't go by uh they don't follow terrain features even visually if especially for like cruising bucks that don't know the area they, they don't they follow everything is done by scent you know they're following the scent of other deer that have been through there so if you're in a spot and you're having no action and there's action 50 yards away from you it's because all the deer scent is in that 50 yards away from you spot you need to get over there immediately that's all i was getting at with it
0: agree agree 100% in fact i'll be honest i was listening to uh i did listen to your Well, you call it spring spring scouting i call it post because we can do it immediately but you were talking about some of that in your in your spring scouting episode and that I agree hundred percent. A trail a trail generally starts because one deer decided to walk that way and then the next deer that came along followed the descent of the first deer and then so forth and so on and then you then you get a trail that lasts over time. Yep. And when something happens to change that, it changes the same way. For whatever reason, the first deer that went through there decided he needed or maybe was forced to he or she was forced to go a different way and then every other deer starts following it if if anybody that spent any amount of time in the woods should know that most of the time when a deer's moving their noses to the ground their their head comes up when they stop (laughs) but when they're moving i mean they're 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 smelling everything anyway yeah
1: yep and another not Not to get, again, not to, this rabbit hole can go super deep if we want to on a a trail cam video or podcast, (laughs) but, uh, but another thing that people need to think about too, that's interesting that people don't, when I tell people this, they're, they're kind of like their mind blows a little bit, but, um, you know, think about how many times in the fall you've actually seen deer on the actual trail. Now, how versus how many times you've seen them five yards, eight yards, 12 yards off of that trail, paralleling it, but not on that trail. And the reason for that is in the summertime, you know, summer and in the late summer, just before early season, when those major trails you're seeing are being made, it's deer traveling from a bedding to a food source that is a designated food source of some kind or another. And then when you get into the fall, when you have acorns hitting the ground all over the place, you have uh, sprouts that are, are ripe and, you know, things that are ready for those buds to be hit in uh, in the spring. And you got all these things that are happening. These deer, rather than just walk down that trail are zigzagging and bouncing all around it. They're heading in that direction, but they're feeding while they're walking, so they're they're ten yards off on the left, hitting the acorns that fell off of this tree as they're heading in that direction. Then they bounce over ten yards to the right of that trail and hit another oak tree that's dropping. And they're you know so it's it's interesting. I, I see a lot of people go well. I uh, if I set up right here, I can't shoot that trail. Well, that's okay if you're in the right area. Or I see people that will go well. I can't set up here because I don't have a shot to that trail. You don't need a shot to that trail necessarily because the odds of those deer in the fall being exactly on that trail are not as high as you think they are pretty interesting little side note tidbit or something for people to think about but during the fall when food sources are abundant these deer are browsers by nature and they will they're not going to waste time going from point a to point b without eating along the way and that veers them off those trails quite a bit and gets pretty interesting But I'm sure if they haven't noticed that before, if they watch that in the fall, they're going to see that a big majority of the deer they see come through their area may not be on a trail. They're going to be off. They'll be heading that direction, but they will not be standing on that trail.
0: So with that in mind, Jason, what are your thoughts around, because I know what I've witnessed, and and I I feel like I've done more talking than you have at this point, so I'm going to ask you, but what are your thoughts on bucks versus does using the same trails?
1: I see... Um. Well, that's a tricky one because remember where I live at here in northern Michigan and being the most heaviest hunted section of the state where everybody comes from every big city for deer camps here and our, our buck to doe ratio is about 22 22- Doze per buck and uh you know you can kill spikes and anything with a rifle and there's 800,000 gun hunters and anyway long story short it's it's a very tricky spot here and I mean let's put it this way if I was using rattling antlers here I would just take two number two pencils and rub them together (laughs) and that would probably still scare away half of the deer that are around here um so it's a different dynamic where I'm at you know um I mean I can go a whole entire season here and see two sets of horns where I'm at you know but I also I'm never here during the rut. So not counting but through the month of October here, I can do uh, I can go a whole month of October hunting, you know, three or four times a week and only see two two bucks here. Where then I can go to Missouri and be there for 5 days and see 13 14 bucks. Go to Kansas for 5 or 6 days and see 25 30 bucks, you know. Um so it's a whole different dynamic at a lot of places. But when I'm in those other states um, where I'm at during the rut time, where I'm seeing a lot of buck activity, I see bucks that are on the doe trails all the time because they're scent checking them. But I also see a lot of bucks that are not running those trails; they're paralleling them in the thick stuff. Um, and when I say that thick stuff, I mean you—you you have to imagine. That if, if you got an edge and you're like, oh, they're going to be right here on this edge. Yes, the does will be on that edge. I promise you it will be the bucks. It will be on the inside of that nasty stuff where it's hard for you to see them. And you're going to get so many people, you know, oh, he was just out of range and he was in that thick stuff. I've been there too many times. That's where they're usually going to be at. But they're always very close because those bucks during the rut, they're, they're looking for does. They're paying attention. They want to smell every doe track that hits the ground and scent check them um and they're also broad checking bedding areas which is my go-to tactic that's my tactic nonstop. is uh you know I, I hunt doe bedding and and also travel corridors between doe bedding and that's that's my number one goal but i see a lot of bucks that are uh are right there where the does are going to be that time of year as far as early season, late season, again, I'm probably not the best one to talk about that because of the fact that where I'm ha- hunting at here, our buck numbers are, are bad, and it, even the ones we have are that I'm usually seeing are small basket racks, not something that's going to be beneficial to most of the people out there in better places.
0: So the only thing I will add to any of that from my observation is during daylight, and this is, I think this is key, during daylight, what I typically see is I, I rarely see bucks traveling the same trails that I witness, like I said, this is while I'm actually sitting in the stand, traveling the same paths that the does do, unless it's during the rut, and they're, you know, and they're right on their, they're right on their trail, um, and that's just been my observation, most of the time, you know, it's, it's, um, they're sticking to the cover more um they're using like you said really the inside edges they're using those edges more uh where around here a lot of times the does are actually in more open areas they 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 tend to just go wherever they please and i think when it comes to the bedding i think it's a little bit different too but
1: I agree. I agree on the betting. Bucks like, the, you know, they're betting by themselves, so there's a lot of parameters that a betting area has to meet to make a buck decide to bed there, where does have security and numbers and different eyeballs in every direction, so they're a lot less worried about it. I would agree with that, too. Um, and I also, uh, an interesting tidbit of information it was given to me by um dan rudman he is a uh, he's he's a hardcore trophy hunter he's killed a lot of book bucks man the guy is just i mean he lives eats and breathes this stuff and uh, he had made a comment once about five six years ago that stuck with me And he had said that a big buck when it travels it has to feel vegetation rubbing against it or it's not comfortable And that's a pretty interesting statement when you actually realize the power of it and then pay attention to how big bucks travel and how they will go out of their way to make sure that they are in that cover, finding those microtransitions, whatever they can to give them that security. But it was a real simple statement that he made, but a big buck likes to feel vegetation against his body every time he walks.
0: I used to always, except for the rut, and again, there, we I think everybody knows the rut, all the rules go out the window. But right. I look at it for the the rest of the hunting season, that buck always wants to know he's one leap from being in cover. Um, you know, literally right. one bound and, and he knows he's got enough thick stuff between himself and whatever has alarmed him that you know that's typically what I what I see and what I what I think the average buck does and we're not talking about the the spikes and maybe even the four corners, but we're talking about something that's right, over
1: right no we're talking mature right. bucks yep. yeah
0: so so real quick Jason I, I want to I'm, I'm gonna spend just a little bit of time at the end I do want to talk about a little bit around the the legislation that's that's in place in several states and some of the potential legislation but you you've mentioned that you know you you've had trail cameras get that grew legs and walked out of the woods and 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 you kind of stopped using them because you you want to control your blood pressure and i definitely get that um have you have you ever what have you used any tactics in the past to try to limit the likelihood that a, a camera's going to get heisted
1: you know i i bought one of those uh those proof boxes you know that you can lock and cable lock to the tree and it you know locks the camera in and I thought maybe that would work and then all I did was lose a $150 camera and a $100 safe box um you know so that didn't help me too much they still took that um I was putting them up higher and that worked pretty well but occasionally people would notice them um You know, it just, uh, there's just so many people that are in the woods. And honestly, I don't necessarily think that it's always hunters um, because some of these places I'm putting them in, I'm putting them in those travel corridors, those pinch points and funnels while up here where I'm at in an area that is so chopped up with, ORV trails, motorcycle trails, single track trails, snowmobile trails, um, ATV side-by-side trails, power lines, dirt roads, fire lanes, and oil well roads. There's just, there's so much access everywhere. Um, And a lot of these funnels are within close points of some of these places. And I mean, you would be amazed how many pictures I would get of like, uh, you know, of people that would, you know, they'd step into the woods to pee. Or, or, you know, I actually got one time, my wife laughed, but we actually got a woman that walked like within 10 yards of our camera and then it, acted, it went number two right in front of my oh. camera, you know? And, uh, so <laughs> we've, we've seen all kinds of things here. So I'm, I'm sure some of it is that kind of stuff too. Um, not just necessarily hunters, but these guys are like, Oh, look at a camera, and they just take it, you know? Um, and, uh, so I never found a way to beat it. I would try to hide them. I try and camouflage them well, but like I said, you know, you just get tired of it. And then there's a lot of people out there now that are scouting. You know, they're out there scouting, and there's, um, you know, these these funnels and these pinch points that I would put these cameras in. They're I'm putting them in an off season, so it's places that you would expect a lot of travel to be through, but you not going to hunt because you know, there's probably people that are going to find it and hunt it. Well, I think these people are out there in the off season and they are scouting them. They're using Google maps. They're using all this stuff. And they see this as a blatant, perfect funnel right there. And they want to go in and check it out. And then they see a camera there and they take in the camera. Um, and I'll bet some of them are just taking it because they're pissed that somebody else is already there. They're like, no, I'm taking this area and they take it away from them. Um, that kind of thing. So it, it gets kind of annoying. Um, you know, I've, yeah, I, I get a little upset with it sometimes, but um, one tactic we did on the last um, the last few times we were running cameras is on that memory card. I always managed to go onto the internet and find a very obscene. Uh, body part picture that was not in very good condition and had many issues with it and i would put that picture like on that car as the first picture for him to see as a little shock absorber for him when they do open it up and want to see what's on it um but you know i mean that was what what else can you do i mean there was nothing else i could do i did actually one time write uh uh dnr or property of michigan dnr for uh woodcock habitat camera uh do not touch and you know and then they still stole it you know so i i like i said i can't win any way you cut it
0: so a couple things there jason the sad part is and and nick and i actually had a uh we had a conversation we had an episode about this after seeing some post on Farcebook. book um It's amazing the people that are out there right now that that truly in their hearts believe if they walk up on it on public land, because it's public land, they have just as much entitlement to it as anybody. Um, I mean, you see posts about guys. I mean, they will post if you find a stand in a tree on public land. Is there any reason why you shouldn't hunt it? And it just is amazing to me, the people that say, well, no, it's on public land. Of course I can use it. And the same thing goes for trail cameras. They'll, you know, best case scenario, they'll pop the SD card out and put it in their reader and look at all the pictures you've got on your camera and leave the camera. But I think there is a, there is a growing population that felt like, well, if you left the camera, you left it, you know, for the public. So it's just as much mine as is, is yours. Which is really sad. It.
1: it, yeah, it, it yeah, It's that's wrong. I,
0: I can't believe that people truly have that mindset, but they do, and they, they are not ashamed of it. They'll flat out tell you that if it's on public land, it's as much mine as it is anybody's. But anyway, to get away from that point, I've been – whether it's because I am – and, I, again, I haven't put any cameras on public land in two years, so that could have changed, but whether it's because – I go in a lot deeper, or I'm 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 only putting cameras on certain areas that maybe other people are not because I don't I would say I rarely put a camera in what I would consider an obvious place, um, and I'll just leave it at that because I'm not going to give away all, of my, but I, I don't necessarily put cameras in, in right. areas where I feel like the average person is going to look at. Um, but I have never gotten uh an image of a person on one of my trail cameras and I've only had one stolen now again maybe I've just been lucky and I will be perfectly honest and tell you the one camera that I had stolen it was probably in the absolute last place that I ever thought it was going to get stolen and it disgusted me so much I've never gone back and even hunted the general area but I'd found a A very unique saddle location on public land that had, if I remember correctly, it was between like five different points. Um, I mean, it was just a weird, I called it a, I think I called it a tri-saddle because the way it was set up, there were, there were literally three different ridges, three different peaks that came together in one saddle. And it was over two miles from the nearest access point. And somebody stole that camera, and I, I honestly could not believe it. But um, that's the only one I've had stolen. That being said, yeah. the the elevation is one thing that I do use quite a bit. If I can, I will elevate and actually place the camera. This is kind of hard to explain, but I will find um, I will place it at the base of a limb so that it kind of blends in with the limb if I can. And this doesn't always work out. And the cameras also angled a lot more than it normally would it's almost pointing down to a degree
1: how are you angling them are you buying special brackets for that or are you just putting a big log behind it or how I'm are you get, i'm it? getting there
0: uh that's that's the that's ta- that's theft prevention number two i'll cover it in just a second but what i was going to say was okay. i've i've found that by doing that a lot of these cameras are not designed from a from a, a water um, water resistance perspective to be hanging anything but vertically. So what I have found... I
1: got it because water is getting in behind the case. Yep.
0: Uh, water will get in the case and it will at, at best cause the batteries to corrode. At worst, it will actually screw up the electronics. So, you know, just keep that in mind if you try this. But um, in some cases, yes, Jason, I will use a, a wedge. I've actually cut wedges before. We basically take a... a, a two by four and cut a small square and then, you know, cut it corner to corner. So I've got wedges that I can put in behind the camera. Um, or I, like I said, I can, sometimes I've used the actual base of a limb coming out of a tree where I can anchor it against that. But that so the second thing I will tell you the majority of cameras that get stolen and I can, I, I can't take full credit for this. Um, Jerry Russell's one that mentioned it to me years ago and I went, that is genius but if the, the the way most of these cameras get stolen is not by people seeing the camera, they see the strap around the tree. And when they yep. see the strap, I would believe
1: that mm-hmm.
0: yeah, because it's a it's a horizontal line, right? Um, right They see the strap, and you can see the strap all the way around the tree, so it's not just you have to be facing the direction the camera's facing. uh, so I quit using straps. And what I what I've used for years, and what I've, I only will use on public land is I actually get electric fence wire. And don't if you try this, don't get the aluminum wire, get galvanized electric fence wire. You can get a hundred feet of it for ten bucks or so. And you use the electric fence wire and you can't see it. Once you get away from that tree six feet, you cannot see that wire against the tree. It blends in, disappears. And they literally have to look right at the camera to see it.
1: That's brilliant. That is straight up brilliant.
0: That's the tip of the week. Um, in fact, I'm I'm. That's one thing I'm gonna be doing in a video soon too, as well. But I just I haven't gotten around to it. But it's 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 worked really well. And the wire, you can reuse it over and over again. I just keep a spool of it in my pack whenever I'm scouting, and if I put up a camera instead of using the strap, that's what I use. And the, the, the galvanized wire just gets better the longer it's out there because it, it won't rust. It'll just get a darker and darker gray the longer it's in the elements
1: right patinas yep Yep. but that is brilliant that is absolutely brilliant yeah because you're right i'm sure a strap gives away i mean that's how i find i see most of them and i i usually see that or i see the strap for the stands um you know but i mean usually the first thing that picks me off to any place where somebody is with the stands or the cameras is the strap on the tree that's what i noticed first
0: well so that's that's that may be worth the price of admission for so for what you paid for this podcast you just got your money out of it
1: there you go yep Yep. What's this legislation stuff you're talking about though with these states?
0: So, uh, and I actually pulled all this up, and there's currently like uh, I want to say there's seven or eight states today that have laws on the books, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read through what all the laws are. Um, there are there are trail camera laws on the books in Nevada, Alaska, Montana, Kansas, uh, New Hampshire, Arizona and Idaho. And that's the ones that I actually found. Now, um, most of these apply to, um, standard trail cameras. I know, I think Montana is one state that actually has restrictions around the use of the cellular trail cameras and Arizona just this year actually put, um, they were trying to pass legislation. As I understand it, 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 it remained unchanged. The existing laws that they had in place remained unchanged, but they were actually trying to um, pass additional legislation around the use of trail cameras during hunting season. There are some states that are actually talking about passing a law, basically creating a season for trail camera use. Uh, which would effectively do the same thing, right? So they, you know, you could use the camera outside of hunting season, whether that's going to be anytime outside of hunting season or a specific window, who knows what may come down the pipe. But the the key thing here is, you know, if you're going to use them, just make sure you check the, the, the laws or regulations in your state just to make sure that you're not breaking the law. Um, and I think we're we're probably going, especially with the, the invent of the cellular camera, I think you're going to see more of these and I'm not I'm not sure it's a bad thing. Uh the other thing that it was kind of funny there's a for those of for anyone that is a member of Go Hunt. Uh I signed up for Go Hunt before Tom and I did our Wyoming mule deer hunt. And it's an annual fee for it and I'll be honest, it's one of those things that I paid for it and I just never went in and stopped the the annual renewal. So I pay it every year but uh, they have a they have a lot of good information about legislation specific to each states, and they had a write up on this Arizona bill. And I actually went through it and spent a good bit of time the other day reading through the comments, and I was really surprised at what I read. Now, before I tell you, Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you what you think. But the article was about the various laws in the state of Arizona and the potential uh, options that were being proposed, one to ban the use of all trail cameras. And the other option was to establish a trail camera season. Now, based on that in today's age and what you see the same stuff on Facebook that I do, and keep in mind, this is not a traditional archery. This is all hunting guns, crossbows. If it was legal, throw a rock at them. I mean, you know, everybody's on this, on this, this site. If you read through 127 comments, do you think the majority of the comments would be pro trail cameras or anti trail cameras?
1: Interesting. Um you know, I I would I would honestly think that it would be pro trail camera. I mean, that's that would be my thoughts. You know, I I tend to think that the average hunter is the reason that they got to make these laws? You know, people will do whatever they can and bend whatever they can, any way they can, to be able to make it uh, easier for them. Now, on the same note, you're also talking about a paid subscription service through Go Hunt, which is a phenomenal place, and most likely going to be more diehard hunters than anything else. So that, when you take that into account, I would say that they're more woodsmanship and conservation-oriented and ethics and things like that to be those kind of people. So I would assume in that particular environment it's going to be more against trail cameras than you're but again you're not taking a sample from what the majority of hunters out there are if that makes sense
0: that's 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 an interesting perspective on how you how you looked at that kind of off the cuff because i didn't prepare you for that at all
1: well it's how look at look at the stuff that the people that are listening to our podcasts and the comments you get from them versus the comments you get from the average yahoo on youtube you know the people that listen to our podcast are much more diehard and into this stuff and they care where the average guy on youtube just happens to come across your video and he can be a complete moron or <laughs> you, you never know what you're running into it's the same thing you know you're talking about a a, a diehard organization on go hunt
0: Correct. And again, I think it's interesting that you, you looked at it from that perspective. So here's what I'll tell you. I didn't go through and actually count, but I will say this. It amazed me at how many, um, people commented that they were, I won't say they were in favor, but they were not opposed to an all out ban on trail cameras. It, it really surprised me a bit. Now, of course you still got the you still got the yahoos here too, because then there's one, there's, I remember I saw one comment that said, well, then let's, let's just ban fish finders too. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, oh, geez.
1: Uh, yeah, that's like the guys that yell at us, you know, oh, you're a traditional guy, but you still use a tree stand or binoculars. That's not very traditional. Oh God, here we go. And what <laughs> do you mean?
0: You're shooting us. You're shooting a metal, you're shooting a metal broadhead instead of, uh, of a napped rock. I mean, Stone. give me a break. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you know, you've got all kinds and I'll even say this, you know, Nick posted, I don't know if you even saw it. I think you liked it. Nick posted in our, in the traditional outdoors community that you and I are going to be doing this just to try to promote people to, you know, throw out their two cents to, to somewhat participate in this discussion. And it's funny, everybody that I saw post from the traditional you know, pretty much what I will call the tr- the diehard traditional community was, you know, like, well, I'd like to know this, or yeah, that's great. Let me hear about, you know, X, Y, and Z. And the one person that commented that said that they completely disagree with trail cameras is, I think he's done some traditional bow hunting, but he's not a, he's not a traditional bow hunter. So, you know, it, and that's why I said when I, when we started this thing, it's, it's one of those, I don't remember if I said it while we were recording or before we recorded now, but started recording, but trail cameras is just one of those things. I'm going to be perfectly honest, Jason. I'm, I'm kind of torn. Um, I enjoy using them, how I use them at the same time. I wouldn't be heartbroken if they, if they outlawed them in Georgia, It, it really wouldn't affect my hunting much at all. And there are some there are some things that people do that I don't agree with. It, it like I said, I'm really I'm probably in more of a conundrum, and that's why I say we're going to call this trail camera conundrums. I'm probably more in a conundrum over trail cameras than just about anything else. It, pretty much anything else, I can pick a side. I can say I'm either for it or against it, and I can't. I just can't do that with trail cameras.
1: Right, and like I said, I'm I stand right there with you. I, I could care less as long as people are using them the right way. You start using them to pattern deer and get your butt out, you know, where you start using cell cameras to know what deer is coming by when and then run out of your house onto your back 40, you know, in your, in your bathrobe and climb up in your tree stand and shoot that deer and then go back home and put your sick of gear on and sit down next to it with your bow for a picture. Then, like I said, you know, no offense, but you deserve to get hit in the face. It's just not the right way to do it. So I'm against people that do that. And I think that's, that's a big problem. You know, I talked to James Orr and he's like, you know, that's how they hunt a lot of mule deer and stuff out there even. And, you know, that's why they become big problems. And, you know, if you give somebody, I mean, I mean the average person they they're so weak to temptation on so many things. And when you give them an opportunity to spend a thousand bucks, buy a bunch of trail cameras out there and then know exactly where, you know, where Bubba or, you know, Buck or Frank or whatever they call their deer now, um, you know, to know exactly where he is and when he's coming through and how to be able to hunt him, not by skill, not by woodsmanship, not by knowledge, not by luck, but by technology, It's wrong. It shouldn't be that way. So I think anything that limits that is one thing. But the part that disgusts me the most is the fact that people will do that. They will take something as cool as a cell camera that would let them be able to get these pictures and the benefits from them and all that. And they twist it into a cheating device like that. That just makes me sick to my stomach.
0: Yeah, and I'm the same way. I, I don't care for that aspect of it at all. But the the flip side of that too, Jason, and I, I we've never talked about this. I don't know which side of the the coin you 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 are on this topic either. But I'm not a I'm not a pattern a deer kind of hunter. That's just I just don't do it. I, well, what I would call patterning a deer, I don't go in and try to pattern a certain buck to know that I think he's going to be here in a certain period of time. I, that's just I just don't hunt that way. Again, I'm more of the numbers guy. I would rather go into the woods and see five, six, seven deer in a day than the one deer. That that just doesn't really, it doesn't appeal to me. Do I get excited over a, a big buck? Yes, but I was, and I was talking to a coworker about this today. We, we were catching up on some stuff at work, and he's also a um, he's a hunter. We were talking about his season cause I'm kind of living vicariously through a lot of people this fall, but, um, you know, I can truthfully say I get kneed and I get as wound up over a doe coming in as I do a big buck, even to this day. I i mean, for all intents and purposes, I can come unglued over, you know, over a mature doe just as easily as I can over an eight point. And, and I've always been that way. I, again i don't know if if that's kind of you're the same way or not but i just I, I have no desire to go out and try to pattern a deer yep
1: i'm with you i'm and i do have the same exact feelings yep and there's people that do you know the funniest thing i ever seen was john about six years ago we were in no, actually had to be about eight years ago we were in missouri public land in missouri and um, uh, you know this is when this is when Missouri was contemplating bringing in the crossbows and it was on the thing like that. And they were talking about it. And me and John found this area and he's like, I think I'm going to set up here. And he pulls an arrow out of his quiver And he sticks it in his deer trail, knock first, and he angles it forward. Like, he he sticks it with the broadhead sticking up right there, and then he starts to walk away from it. Like, what are you doing? He's like, move. i got to put another one over here. What are you doing? He's like, well, this is about as ethical as crossbows are and as ethical as the trail cameras and all the things they can do now. I'm punji hunting. I'm just putting my arrows (laughs) pointing up in all these trails. Sooner (laughs) or later, a deer's going to walk into it. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) he was kidding, but he was making a point that, you know, the technology, the, all the stuff that we're doing today has ruined the hunting aspect of what it was for. And his point was very solid and straightforward. And it was, I was laughing, but it was, it was an interesting point. Like you said, there's a, you know, when you're using the technology to pattern deer, like you're talking about, know where these things are, when you, when you're using technology to replace your skills you have went down the wrong rabbit hole. What's me? You took, you didn't take the red pill or the blue pill. You took the black pill. It's not a good pill. Put it back, you know? Yeah.
0: And I, yeah, and I will go, I will, I will take a step back and say, if somebody enjoys hunting that way, I don't have anything against it. As far as trying to pattern a specific deer, if that's what gets you excited, I don't have a problem with it. It's just not, that's just not me. And I should have said that and I did, not but I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent that the, the, the problem I have with a lot of these conversations, Jason, is I used to follow I think it was um Aldo Lupole who made the statement around uh ethics is ethics is doing the right thing even when no one's looking or something to that effect. Yeah. And I used to really believe strongly in that again until I've started seeing some of the things I see I see people say on, on social media and Uh, it it, that's no longer the case it's no longer about you know if this is something that you would think you wouldn't want anybody seeing you do then you shouldn't do it that doesn't apply anymore because there's a lot of people out there that do just about anything i mean it it's it's that and and the hunting has gotten to where it's so much about the it's so much about the the kill and getting online I, i mean i guess it's getting online and posting the pictures but it's it's so much about the, key. it's not about the hunt anymore to a lot of people. It's just not. The hunt is just the means to the end. And I think a lot of, a lot of people that's in the traditional community are just the opposite. Where we're really more aligned to the hunt. We want to be successful, but it's the, it's, it's the path that got you there that's more important. And that's just not the case anymore in the broad hunting community
1: right the technology the, the, all this stuff and, and you're right if you can't look at yourself in a mirror and feel good about it it's, it's just not worth it you know i mean it's not uh, uh it's like i don't i don't like the direction a lot of that stuff's going and when it comes to the cameras if people are pushing these limits and they're they're doing this stuff to the point where they have to be laws that may you know same with the drones you know drones come out drones are cool then the next thing you know people you know this hunting world starts going, hey, we can use these drones to spot where these animals are and get right in on them and hunt these deer with this. And then they have to make a law to stop you from doing that. The fact that they have to make a law for trail cameras already tells you we're doomed to begin with, you know, if things don't start changing. You know, it's already heading down the wrong direction. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad the states are acknowledging that. I'm glad they're taking control of that and get involved with it. But uh, then, you know, you got... You got things, you know, even, what is it, Cunnyback came out with that one now where you can have, like, unlimited amount of cameras that sync off of one main receiver, so you don't even got to buy cameras, you know. But they work within a certain, so many, let's say it's a 500-yard a area, but you can now have cameras all over that are linked to one thing, what, it, you know. I, I mean, people are going to abuse that stuff. It's all going to be taken advantage of. So, the, you know, if it comes to legislation, more power to them, whatever it takes. You know, if if it's if we've hit that point in the road where we have to, the people cannot follow the ethics and morals themselves and they have to be, uh, you know, basically have their hand held and laws applied for them to do this, you know, then I'm glad the, the states are stepping up and doing it. I'm all for it. You know, betrayal cameras are a touchy thing when you think about it now. Before cell cameras, I could care less who used a camera where, when, or how. They never bothered me. I used a lot of them. The invention of the cell camera and instant access to those images, like I said, creates a temptation that I think many people are too weak to be able to uh, steer away from, and it leads them to do very bad things. And then if they can do those bad things and look at themselves in the mirror, it makes it even worse. You know, I made one stupid thing i did we're going back to my my second year of hunting third year of hunting somewhere in there but uh i was actually hunting uh a piece of property private property but long story short i was i was on the ground sitting down on the ground behind my little sticks that i told you i've talked to you about how i made those shooting sticks you know with the swing out zip ties with leaves on them perfect setup but anyway i was sitting there and i had a i had one doe there and uh the she came in saw me turn was getting ready to leave i had only killed i think i'd only had you know one deer under my belt before then but anyway long story short i took a about a 12 yard straight up the tailpipe shot on that deer and uh i shot now fortunately i did find that deer but i made that shot and as soon as i let that arrow go the disgust in the level that came over me was so powerful that i actually threw my bow left it out there Went and I did find that deer, got that deer back, brought it to the processor. I remember telling John that I'm not hunting anymore and I'm done and I can't, I I don't like what I did and that I didn't even go back and get my bow. It's still out there. And, uh, it, you know, he, he listened to what I had to say and stuff and got off the phone. And then, uh, the next day he called me back and he said, Hey, we're going for a ride. He took me out there to go get that bow. And he talked to me and gave me that whole speech about how, look, you, you realized what you did. Look at how you acted. Look at how you were all night, how you were tore up, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and kind of talked me off the ledge, but that stuff. If people can do the things they do and keep looking at themselves in the mirror, you know, it kind of makes you wonder. It make it's not a good sign. You know, it makes people shouldn't be that way, and it does. It bothers me. You know, that, that people are like that. That was a turning point for me. I swore I'd never ever do something. I was never so disgusted in my life as I was at that particular moment, and I since then have never in my life ever done anything stupid like that that I would ever not be comfortable with who I am and be able to look at the guy in the mirror. And uh, I, I, you wonder about the people that abuse the technology and how they can do that. I, I just don't get it. Maybe they don't put it on the same level, but it, it's, I'm not a fan of the cheating. I'm not a fan of the, the cutting the corners. I'm not a fan of the stuff that people do today. I don't like it.
0: Well, you know, there was a time there wasn't laws against spotlighting, right? I mean, <laughs> yep. and, and, and there's... Here in Michigan,
1: there... you still can... Here you can until 11 o'clock at night, uh, but you cannot during the month of November. But you can t- till 11 o'clock at night. And uh, we get this magazine called uh, uh, Woods and Water, and then you get the uh, uh, Bullets and Broadhead. There's a few local magazines here, and some of them run these uh, uh, DNR call lists in there. And you would be amazed how many times that somebody, you know, somebody was shining a the field, then they heard a gunshot, called it in, and somebody's busted for poaching in August, you know
0: well when i said when i said spotlighting laws that's what i'm talking about i mean i know in some states you can you can use a spotlight to locate you just can't you know you you obviously can't shoot but like here in georgia you can't even sweep you you the law states something to the effect of you cannot sweep a light over an area in a in an attempt to locate deer i mean you just it it has nothing to do with with uh whether or not you're shooting or not, you can't even sweep the light looking for them here. Um, and I'm okay with that.
1: Right. Yep. But how did that law come about?
0: Exactly. That's that's my whole point. The law came about because people were being unethical and were going out shouting lights and shooting, shooting deer. And in some ways the the using a trail camera or and really you got to go back you know some of this has deeper roots because there's been laws on the books in states for years around using two-way communication to do the same thing you know somebody sees a deer and calls their you know radios their buddy 100 yards and says you got a big buck coming your way i mean you're that that's illegal in in many states and the cellular camera just kind of piggybacks off of that when you get right down to it but yeah the the laws had to be put on the books for a reason and you starting the whole you know what what made you sick your stomach and couldn't live with yourself starts us down that whole path of the, the big tent get more hunters in the woods and we can't go down that trail man we'll be here another two hours
1: <laughs> right right no i would agree with that yep tangents but they were all relative to the fact that i do believe that the technology is if you know i mean the sign is there that the technology is being abused and that's a horrible thing in itself but it also does tell you the kind of people that we have running around out there that that we need to we need to change the way of thinking a little bit we need to change the types of people that are in the woods rather than more people in the woods you know we yep. need to to you know we need good hunters we need the people out there that have the ethics that that like i said can if they did that stuff with a cell camera and set it up and set 25 of them out there and used it and then ran out there and killed the deer that way, if they can do that and look at themselves in the mirror and feel good about themselves of killing that deer with zero hunting aspect, zero anything, zero woodsmanship, zero skill, and they're going to you know, post that picture on Facebook like they're all that, and they can go home and look in the mirror, they're not the kind of people that you really want around there. You know?
0: I feel the same way, the same way, brother. Well, brother, we have, uh, I said we were going to stop but We weren't going to go over an hour and a half and we've already run past that. So I always have a great talking to you, time talking to you, buddy. I could probably sit here and talk to you another two hours, but, uh, I think we, we probably ought to wrap this one up. Uh, I think from my perspective, my closing remark would be if you're, if you're against trail cameras, you know, no, no problem for me there. I I can definitely see both sides of the coin if you if you want to or like using trail cameras uh, i hope you've learned something here to to maybe help you be more effective using the trail cameras but also be more effective with your hunting by not screwing up your hunting by using trail cameras anything you would close with jason anything do you want to you want to wrap up and put a pin in
1: i think we got it pretty down to a science but uh yeah like i said that's it and if you're uh you know just uh make sure you're you know, you just don't let the technology get the best of you. Otherwise, it'll be like the GPS in your car. Steve Ture gives me crap for this all the time. He actually, he said it to me just the other day. He's like, well, this guy's about as directionally challenged as you are. And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? I know my <laughs> way around the woods really good. He says, no, I'm not talking about the woods. But every time we're in Missouri, you never know how to get back to town or where to go. And he's like, because you always just follow your GPS. He's like, I have to pay attention to the road so I can tell you what road name is and where you go. He's like, your actually challenged because of your gps same thing applies here do not become technologically challenged by this stuff and let it take away your woodsmanship and your skills that you're developing don't let those don't rely on those trail cameras to do what you're capable of doing and what you actually should be out there doing and taking on the challenge and, and bettering yourself and gaining that knowledge and experience
0: I 100% agree positive reinforcement I guess is what I try to when I use when I use trail cameras that's what I'm really trying to use it for is reinforcing that I know what I think I know Um, and and I would you know I would say the same thing to anybody else but uh, Jason man I've always a good time talking to you appreciate you appreciate you hanging out and I've, I've really enjoyed doing I guess what is our first joint release podcast
1: yeah i'm looking forward to getting it out there and then we got another one coming real soon here too so yeah when we get off uh done recording this one we'll have to chat about that and set up a schedule and uh, get that one on the books too so yep. and i'm sure that one will be full of a whole bunch of
0: rabbit holes also. <laughs> probably so and we'll we'll talk about that right after we press the the stop button on our recorders so for everyone listening in thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to talking to you again real soon take care all. all right